Don't sit this one out. Here's Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. Those of you who don't know the name Johnny Majors, he is a throwback. He was the around the area of Bear Bryant, Frank Broyles, Daryl Royal, the legendary coaches of our time, Bobby Dodd at Georgia Tech. Johnny Majors grew up in a, a little town in Tennessee called Huntland. His father was the head football coach there. Huntland doesn't even have a traffic light in the town. Um, under his father, they won the state championship in 1951. I think they were still folding helmets at the time. Uh, his father, Shirley Majors, became the head coach at Sewanee, the University of South, for 20 years, 1957 to 77. Johnny Majors, along with a couple of his brothers, played football at the University of Tennessee back when they ran the single wing. He uh, was a triple threat, played defense, offense, threw the ball, ran the ball, did everything. Called the plays on the field. He finished second to Paul Horning in the 1956 Heisman Trophy balloting. Um, Coached at multiple places before coming to Iowa State University in 1968. From there, he went on to the University of Pittsburgh, where he won the national championship in 76. Then he went to the University of Tennessee for 16 years before finishing his career going back to Pittsburgh from 93 to 96. <clears throat> Johnny Majors was a unique, uh, hard, tough human being who at 83 years old reflected back on his career when we spoke yesterday. Coach, again, I told you when I spoke to you on the phone the other day how much I appreciated who you were and what you were and, and the toughness that you drove into me. Um, it, it was a different era in football when you played, when you coached. I saw a picture of you when, that I was looking up. You didn't even have a face mask when you played in, uh, for the Tennessee Volunteers. That, that's true. I never wore a face mask until the last three games of my college career, and that was uh, against Kentucky, the next to the last game of the year. And Kentucky always a tough team to play against. We were backdoor rivals, and they, they had a big defensive tackle. It was a great tackle named Lou Michaels, and he, he was dangerous, uh, I wouldn't call him a dirty player because he was an outstanding player, and he could, he had great movements, and he was tough, and he he liked to he he was uh, made it known he wanted to get after me, so for so a couple of years I played before against Kentucky, I've seen one or two or three players leave the field with with their mouth busted, and uh, maybe a few teeth out. Some Kentucky guy hit him with a four. Forearm or something, so I put a kind of. I didn't put it on. But I had to quit my people. Put a a face mask across my mouth area, and that was a pretty kind of wide, maybe a couple inches wide, 
and I could see through it and all that stuff because I had it was open between my nose and uh, and the, my forehead. It just covered the the mouth area, and from one side of the uh, one side of the helmet to the other. I used that during that game and the last game of the season down at Vanderbilt in Nashville, and then in the Sugar Bowl New Year's Day against Baylor, and uh, that was my last three games at the University of Tennessee as a senior. So fortunately, I never had any. I never lost a tooth, and never had my any sewing my mouth together or anything like that. So that you had a great uh, year. You were on a twelve and zero team or whatever. You were. And and Paul Horning won, and he was on a losing team. Well, I won't say that I should have. But I would, that wouldn't that wouldn't be sportsmanship. Yes, certainly, it wouldn't be what I would say, and never have said that because <clears throat> uh, I was very disappointed and was uh, close close balloting. Horning uh, Horning's team. Horning was one of the great players of all time, right? In college and the pros, but this is a, a college award, and he won the. Uh, Heisman won the closest voting in history at that time. And uh, I was second. I think he beat me 25 or 30 points or something like that. He had slightly less than 1,000, and I had a few less than him. Well, I, mine was over 900, and so was he the best I recall. Tommy McDonald, the great halfback at Oklahoma, who died this past year, unfortunately, was a great, great player. He was in his third. Uh, he was a linebacker. Sitter, he was fourth in the Heisman, Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, Jim Brown, the great uh, running back at Syracuse, who was one of the greatest football players in history in college and the pros, playing for the Cleveland Browns for many years, he was fifth. Hmm. So there were some outstanding players. And so I didn't feel quite as bad. I was disappointed, to say the least. But I didn't get myself built up and thinking, I'm going to win that Heisman or I should win the Heisman. I didn't do that. Okay. And I didn't say that. And I didn't think that. But anyway, Honan was a great player. He had a great career. He and I have, he and I have had a little fun about that. Well, I haven't seen Paul in several years now, but we saw each other several times between the time we played and at the end of the season. Uh, we went to New York on an All-American trip. He is a great player, and uh, and he won the Heisman. And I think and uh, Heisman is 83 years old this year, and so is Horning, and so am I. <laughs> we were born in 1935. That's the first year of the Heisman. Wow. And Horning uh, only won it. And that's the only time in uh, 83 years that a person on a losing team, they were two and eight at Notre Dame, and we were ten and zero in regular season. They didn't go to a bowl game at that time, and there weren't near as many bowl games, and they didn't go. Of course, they couldn't have with a two and eight record. And we went to the Sugar Bowl and lost a close one to Bader, thirteen to seven. So we were ten and zero in the regular season and lost the bowl game. So that's past history, and fortunately, Paul Horn is still living, and fortunately, I am, and. I have, my health feels good. I'm very fortunate. So that's pretty much a, as much as I need to talk about the Heisman. <laughs> Morning, won it. I came in a second. <laughs> coaching. Then you started. You started coaching college football, and you you started out as a GA in in Tennessee. Uh, then you coached backs there. You went to Mississippi State, Arkansas as an assistant, and then your first head coaching job at Iowa State University. And you and I both know that Iowa State at that time was a, a sleepy little town in Ames, Iowa, that 
didn't have great facilities that you know back in the day Clyde Williams Field and you took over that that job and it, it wasn't a very good job when you took it over and you turned it into something great how was that experience for you well it was a great experience and living in Iowa for five years was was great great in every way I am I, a native Tennessean uh, and when I went to Iowa State, I'd never been north. Well, I had to get them to New York twice on a, on a foot, football uh, trip that they paid for us to go up there and be on the Ed Sullivan show mm-hmm. one weekend. And the next uh, week, we went up to be on the Perry Como show. So I'd been to New York twice uh, for a weekend. But other than that, I had not been up north. When I went to Iowa, that's the first time I certainly lived in uh, in a northern state. And I'd been in uh, Tennessee all my life, and including my first three years of an assistant coach at Tennessee. Was, was, at that time, people referred to Iowa State as a coach's graveyard. <laughs> they had never been to a bowl game in the history of the school. And uh, they were 2-8 and eight the year before I took the job in uh, 1968. And we didn't set the woods on fire, of course. It's pretty hard to do that at a tough job like that. We were in the uh, Big Eight Conference. That was, at that time, the strongest conference in America. Nebraska, Oklahoma, Colorado, Iowa State, uh, and Oklahoma State, and two more, two or three more. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Was a tough, tough, tough league. So we were three and seven, three and seven. And the next year we were five and six. And we, the first time when I took the job, I had a little what I call a cracker box stadium. Clyde Williams Field that held only twenty eight thousand people. Yes, and uh, I don't believe the end zone was closed. I think we had bleachers in both end zone end zones. And I, when I took the job that day, I said we need a new stadium at Iowa State. But I'd been associated with big stadiums in Tennessee and in Arkansas, and that's the answer I received when I said we need a new stadium. And the coach, we've never filled this one out before, and and I was told that. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. If, if we play at home, this open day of pheasant season, there'll be uh, less than 10,000 people here in this 28,000 seat stadium, which was true the first time we played it on the game at home. The first two years I was there was during pheasant season uh, opening. We had a very small crowd, and we got beat. That's my first year against Oklahoma State, 35 to nothing. And that was my last game of the season. Next year we were three and seven. Then we go five and six. We made some progress and we filled the stadium up. Yes. Um, most of the games that year, and in the last two years of seventy one and seventy two, we filled it every Saturday. Yes. And uh, we did. We couldn't beat Nebraska the, uh, the first four years, but that, that in that game, of all things, we tied Nebraska and missed an extra point. In the last two or three minutes of the game, and we tied the game, I believe it was 23-23. And uh, that's the closest we came to beat Nebraska. Then we went to the Liberty Bowl my fourth year. Our fourth year, it was our team. It wasn't my team. It was our team. And when I refer to it as Iowa State's team, but I was the head coach. And we lost a, a pretty close game to Georgia Tech in the Liberty Bowl, I believe it was. And uh, no, it was the Sun Bowl. Sun Bowl, we lost to LSU. Yes, I believe that was the case. And the next year, we went to the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. That's where we played our second bowl game and my last game at Iowa State. And after the game, 
early the next morning. I flew to Pittsburgh, took the Pittsburgh job, and they had also been in the they'd been down in the low part and hadn't been to a bowl game in I believe fifteen years. I'm pretty sure. So we turned that program around overnight. They hadn't had a winning season in several years. We go we go six three and one, seven four, and then go to a bowl game. There weren't but maybe seven or eight or ten bowl games at that time. And we were left out with a seven four record. That's unheard of today with people with yes. six six records or five five records. Or, Fifty uh, percent win, get bowl games to uh, this day and time. So we were knocked out with a seven-three record, and then uh, we went to the next year. We were eight and three. I, I'm amazed at how much you remember about this stuff. You know, going back that far, and then you won the national championship. And we beat Notre Dame pretty bad in the last two years I was there. It was nineteen, and then we won the national championship in '76. 11-0 regular season record. We beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl to make it 12-0. And then I came to Tennessee yeah. right after that for 16 years as head coach. Wow. I remember as a player of yours coming in in 1971, and you were, you're, you're a tough man. You are, and I have to tell you this, I feared you and the coaching staff because you were you were tough people in we were a bunch of 17, 18-year-old kids coming in from all over the country, and it was hard. I mean, you demanded a lot from us. There were 45 of us. There were only five of us left my senior year after five years. Because you were there the first two years. Under my you. last two. Yes, sir. And, you, and, you, and your last three years were under Earl Bruce. Yes. Who, who succeeded me, and when I went to Pittsburgh, he succeeded me. Then he went from there to Ohio State as Bingo. head coach. Yeah, and I, 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 I didn't, I didn't inherit any championship teams no. as a head coach at, at Iowa State. No, Pittsburgh. you didn't. <laughs> or even at Tennessee, but I left it in good shape. Everybody that followed me had really good teams because we left a very good program. Yeah, and, and you, you were you were one of those people that had three years left after I left. Yes, I went to Pittsburgh. You were playing. A, as a registered sophomore and a junior and a senior. Yeah, and and I will tell you this, that after you in the first two years of being on the freshman team, because freshmen couldn't play then, and then being redshirted, we were the guys who were remaining, and you had a sign in the locker room that said, those who stay will be champions, and those who stay will play. And when we were young, we didn't realize what that meant, but... After the two years of, of your coaching and the demands that you and the staff and everybody put on us, it made us so tough physically and mentally, the guys who stayed, that it turned us into a good program at Iowa State. And you did that everywhere you were. We never bragged about winning. I, I've said some positive things today talking to you on, on the phone and, and, uh, but, uh, and giving you some records, yes. But I also mentioned the fact that we lost some, but we didn't lose very many for very long. But if you're going to play, give it all you got. I expect you to give it all you got. And whether we won or lost or tied, when we gave our best, we were commended. And when we gave our best and, and lost, we were commended. And and I appreciate the effort. I think I had I think I had I believe 33 coaches who became head coaches in college small colleges, large colleges, 
And uh, on my first step, I had Jimmy Johnson. He became an outstanding coach of Miami college team and then also the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, he was on my first staff. Jackie Sher was on my first staff. He became head coach. He followed me at at, uh, at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And he became head coach at Texas A&M. And uh, Larry Lacell became head coach. He's from Arkansas. And uh, uh, 33, I believe, over, 33 overall. I don't think anybody in the, in the history of sports has probably had more people that became head coaches in college than I've had in my three jobs at Iowa State, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee. Absolutely. They helped me a lot, and I think they learned a lot from me because I learned, I learned from some masters of football. My father growing up and playing high school football for him and the great Bowden White at Tennessee, who's in the Football Hall of Fame as a player and coach. He coached at Wyoming in the old uh, Skyline Conference. He won two championships there right after World War II. He won at Arkansas. He won the, the the Southwest Conference Championship his second year at Arkansas. And he came back after those two years to Tennessee and fortunately coached us my last two years. And he was an All-American at Tennessee in 1938 and captain. And uh, he he was a wonderful, outstanding coach. Shirley Majors, my high school coach, and my father, and Bowden White, were two of the greatest coaches in the history of the game. So I was fortunate. I got to play for two of the best in history. And unfortunately, I got to coach four and with some very good coaches, and particularly Frank Brawls, the great Hall of Fame coach at the University of Arkansas, where I spent four years. And it was a great experience. He was one of the smartest people that ever coached football and played at Georgia Tech. So I played for good people. I coached for good people, and I learned a lot from those people. Uh, I would not have done what I did without having the great leadership, number one, at home and direction and playing for some outstanding coaches, starting with my father and people at Tennessee. And uh, it was uh, I'm just very, very fortunate. And to finish this up, Coach, I just want to tell you, your legacy – you carried the legacy from your dad, from Tennessee, and from Frank Broyles, and, and all the people that influenced you. And then you influenced all of us as players. You influenced all the coaches that served under you. You have left a lasting legacy on college football, one that, that you carried on a tradition and of toughness, of being single-minded, going out and playing the game the way it should be played, and, and you have influenced a lot of young men uh, like myself who have uh, been successful because of the things you taught us and a lot of coaches, and I want to thank you for that. I thank you for saying that. <clears throat> i say this. Whatever I've done well, whatever I've done well, it's because I had some great Raising at home, I've already mentioned that. And you've already covered it. Yeah, uh, we had a great childhood. We didn't have much money, but we had everything that was important in life. We had plenty of balls to play with. We had discipline, and we had lived in two great little towns growing up. One stop like Lynchburg, none in Huntland, and we knew everybody in the town and and, and most everybody in the county. And to coach people like you, who turned out very well, it's quite evident. But to coach outstanding people. 
those who stay will play. <laughs> yes. Those who play, those who play will be champions. You've got a good member because that's we had that on our walls there in the locker room, yeah. and that's true. You know, not always winning the national championship, but you're a champion if you play to win, and you're a champion if you play and give it all you got. So thanks very much for including me, and I'm sure occasionally I can bore people because I like to talk about the good times, and I don't like to talk about the bad ones, but I've had a few bad times and a few bad seasons that I won't get into now because uh, I, I, I had a few of those also, but I don't think I want to visit to, to you about that. So happy new year to you, and best wishes to the people that might be listening to me. Thank you so and much. If I, and if, if they get tired of if they get tired of my lingo, they can just turn me off. That's one good no. thing about the knobs, the no. knobs on the radio. So good luck and happy new year. Thank you so much, Coach Majors. You take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And now here's Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. You know, I had chills this morning thinking about doing the show. I had chills, like Teddy Bridgewater. Did you? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. I've got a frog in my throat. That's going around. I noticed um, Coach Majors did the same thing. No, he's just old. <laughs> <laughs> Jay David was doing it yesterday during the oh, show okay. as well. Yeah, John, uh, Co- Coach Majors is an unbelievable guy. I mean, think about this. I hated him. When I played for him, I hated him. He uh, he used to he used to be in a tower, and he would coach the whole practice from a tower. And he came down one time, and I fumbled the ball in practice. In practice, and um, <clears throat> ribbit. That's a frog. So he came down from the tower after I fumbled the ball in practice. And I was only on scout team. I mean, this was scout team. And I fumbled the ball. And he walked slowly down the tower and came up to me and said, Son, because he called me son, if you fumble again today, I'm shipping you home to your mommy and daddy. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, my gosh. I held on to the ball as tight as I could. Yep. I feared that man. You didn't you didn't fumble again. No, but I thank him for 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 very much of uh making the obstacles go away in life. As I was listening to the interview, something kind of it, you coached yes. obviously after yes. you know you played. Do you feel like you've made an impact on your younger players the way he made an impact on you. I do. I do. Because I was very much like him. I coached I didn't coach as you can't coach the same way no, not when I coached than when he coached. He coached in a way the Junction Boys, Bear Bryant coached. Mm-hmm. He coached like Daryl Royal coached and those guys were, were it was it was um it was we're gonna we're going to beat you down until you either leave or get tough. I coach very similarly. Um, I demanded a lot. Like, you know, well, there was one time at Malone where 
I said, we're going to run. We're not leaving the practice field until we run 10 perfect plays. And we had to end up bringing cars down because we had no lights on the practice field to turn lights on. Wow. Until they ran 10 perfect plays. And it was interesting because that week we had multiple 10, 12 play drives for touchdowns. Um, I was very, very, very demanding uh, of, of players. I expected them to be nationally ranked. Right. And we went to the national playoffs in three years at, at a school that just started football at Malone. I was like that through my whole career. So I, it did rub off. And I think I think the the young people, I look at the young people who played uh, for me and for us have all been very successful people. And have you had a player that you could just tell he hated you <clears throat> when yeah. he played for you but has come back to you and said, you know, just what you said, I hated you when I played for you, but man, I admire you so much right now. Well, I think they, like like with Johnny Majors, I've thanked him multiple yes. times for making me, helping to make me, turn me from a, 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 a man, a child, into a man. Yes. And for much of the successes that I've had in life, I owe to him. And I owe to Earl Bruce, and I owe to the other people who, Tony Paris in high school and different people who, who mentored me and taught me. And demanded a lot from me, more than I thought I could give. Yes. Yeah. They saw what you didn't necessarily see in yourself. Yeah. To that, get it out somebody of you. has to. Somebody has to expect greatness from you before you can learn to accept greatness in yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. You got a call? Yes. Who's this? His name's Ted. Ted, what's up? Hello, Joe. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Hey, good. I just wanted you to know that this interview was probably one of the best that I've been listening for a long time. But uh, I just loved hearing from uh, Johnny Majors was a legend. I mean, he's right up there at the top with, I'd say, the top five coaches of all time. And uh, it was a fabulous interview. And I just wanted to thank you for that. And uh, uh, the other thing is, we've got a coaching vacancy in Louisville. I, I would appreciate if you would apply. I mean, we'd be honored to have <laughs> over here. You know, I'll I'm, hang up. I'm no, you know what? I'm going to tell you one one guy that uh, that I coached and I know very very well and I'm putting a shameless plug in. But you've got a young man there who I coached who knows how to play and knows how to win and knows how to coach and his name is Troy Davis. Oh, for sure. I, I agree. And I, I, I would tell you, Joe, Joe I'll tell you, <clears throat> John DeMarco was class. I mean, yeah, he I, was. I, it came as a surprise that uh, that he was let go. But I'll tell you, you talk about uh, somebody with class, and he did everything with class. And, and uh, uh, But, uh, oh, I agree. I think uh, Troy Davis is uh, hopefully – he will get that job, and I think that he'll continue. But uh, I, I, Troy's very discipline-oriented. I mean, I think he'll he'll even take that program to the next level. I really, I uh, I I would almost guarantee he would. And and I would love uh, 
you know, to, to be involved with Troy, to be able to advise and do some things if he asks. And, but, but he is, um, he, he is without ego. He bleeds Louisville. Uh, he has stayed around there when he has had uh, options to go. And he is a guy who I, I think I would recommend him uh, higher than anybody else for that particular job. There is no one else that I think Louisville could hire that would be better than Troy Davis. Well, if we had you, I would say I, I, I still I brought this up many times about how uh, you got involved with our DeSalle's game. And, yeah. and uh, I just uh, that was the first time I've ever really been around you or known you but uh i just thought uh your philosophy and everything is i think that's what these kids need and yes uh even though you see a lot of the 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 new style coaching the the old style discipline will work uh if you've got a community that buys into it and uh but uh, we've always appreciated you thank you uh, I, I appreciate and, uh, Louisville I love Louisville I love the kids I loved coaching there and you know helping them out in that game uh, I think the world of of Troy um I I uh Louisville is a very special place when it comes to to the people and the football and 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 they expect you know and that's a great thing about Louisville, and there's a lot of communities in Stark County like that. I mean, you look at Perry, they're the same way with, with Keith Wayfield and Maslin and McKinley and everything. But as a coach, you've got to expect, you have to look at every kid and see greatness in them, and you have to set that standard and 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 make them see their greatness before they do. And then they will live up to that. Kids will only do what is expected, not what is wanted, but what is expected of them. And that's what I learned from Johnny Majors and Earl Bruce. And that's and that is so true. And I think, you know, again, I think I think Troy sees that. He knows it. He and I have talked many times. Joe, Joe how old uh, Johnny Majors? How old would he be? He's eighty three. Wow. Yeah, it's Boy, pretty do amazing. Believe, do you believe his recall? I know. I mean it was just one after another. I mean, oh, oh, he he can go. That. He can go on. He can remember every detail of every game, every detail. Amazing. Every he, detail. He was amazing. He was yeah. amazing. But listen, I, I appreciate you taking my call and. Uh, Joe, just really, you knocked it out of the ballpark with that interview. I mean, it was just, I could listen to that over and over. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you again, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Have a safe one. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. Sit back and enjoy the week that was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. That's because his studio's so small. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. I um I put together my own list, Sean. My list of top ten Ohio sports stories in two thousand eighteen. My own list. Mine. Mine. It's mine. Number one, LeBron James leaves Cleveland again after the loss to Golden State in the NBA championship. Number one. 
sports story right. of 2018. Would you agree with that? Depends on what number two is. Number two is the draft of Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward, first round draft that actually worked for the Browns. I think number two, because that happened and it's working so well, lessens the impact of number one. Ooh, that's probably a good point. That's a great point. I think if they wouldn't have gotten Baker Mayfield, if they wouldn't be on this riding this high right now, at least in this area, we would care a little bit more about how bad the Cavs are doing. I like that. Number three, Josh Gordon is finally released. It's a sports story. Yes, yes. Number four. I, this is kind of a homer because it was me that wrote this. But I think it's a big deal. Hoban, Archbishop Hoban, wins a fourth straight state championship at two different divisions. Yeah. That's a big sports story. Firing of Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley on the same day. That was a big sports yes. story. Urban Meyer announces his retirement from coaching. If Urban Meyer married Keith Urban, <laughs> be Keith Meyer? <laughs> no, he'd be Urban I, Urban, Urban. Urban. I know where you were going. I was trying to take it the other way. <laughs> uh, another story: Earl Bruce dies. Yes, the death of Earl Bruce. The resurgence of Maslin as a top power in high school football. Consider that a big story. Yes. Browns sweep Cincinnati for the first time in 16 years. You could almost fill this list with all Browns stuff, with what's happened this year, with the exception of not making the playoffs. Right. Yeah. But then you'd pass up or Yeah, I mean, uh, it was... There's just so much that happened with the Browns. I think I did good, I think you did great. All right, here we go. Here's the next one, the last one. Indians once again fall short in making it to the World Series mm-hmm. and winning it. That window, I believe, has closed yes. for a while. Yeah. And obviously they're trying to... It's getting shut very hard, yeah. and they're trying to slowly open it back up. Yeah. And it, it, that's how Cleveland works. It's yes. like you get there, you finally get a team, and you, like in the 90s, and you take it for a while, and then guys start leaving. You start cleaning house because you don't have that much money, which I don't understand, but they don't. And then you, another five years, six years, eight years go by before you have another team that's contending again. And I think that window closed for this period. But those are my top ten. You know what's funny about this year is I'm not from this area originally. I just moved here a year ago. But I was always a Browns fan, Cleveland sports fan. And it was always, Cleveland's a football town. Cleveland's a football town. You know, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, but the Cavs are great when they, ha- you know, with LeBron. The Indians are going to the World Series. They're going to the playoffs every year. We should be happy. And like, no, it's it's a football town. It really is. This year has proven that because the Browns, not even winning season yet. They're just not going to have, you know, it's a great season to hope for the future. The Indians are rebuilding. The Cavs are the worst team in the league, basically. No one cares. It's the Browns. Yeah. And it's You're just, right. you know, I went to the game Sunday with my girlfriend and I just looked at her and I was like, it amazes me how this town is rallying. And I, I, I don't think there is a better guy that uh, John Dorsey got it right with that number one pick. 
We got to run with both. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Ward's going to Pro Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And the 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 thing is, is he with Baker Mayfield? It's not just what he's doing on the field. It's his attitude, mm-hmm. the way he and he called the fans out. And I I didn't want to use that term to begin with, but he did. He's like, look, we feed off of you. Please come out to the game. He because of that they sold out the last home game. I know. That's how much this this city and this area is rallying around. This guy, I know. It's it's amazing how this guy can come in here and just change and put some hope. And I looked at her and I said, "That guy right there is going to make this town almost forget about LeBron." I really think that he is going to because he's not from this area that we expected it from LeBron. And he's more, um, he's more in your face. He's very blue collar. Very like, blue collar. You look at him and like. If he walked in this room right now, he would not be the biggest guy in this room. LeBron walks in this room, he wouldn't fit in here because he's so big. Right. And there's that that thing about him that we can relate to him, and to see him go out there and do that, what he's doing is just, it, it makes you a bigger fan. And the whole team is rallying around that. Yes. Um, so those are, the, those are my top ten sports stories of Ohio. Um, included some local stuff, uh, but I, th- I think I don't know. You tell me. I, th- I think I hit it on the head. I've still got um, TV shows. I don't watch TV unless it's. I watch movies. I watch sports. I watch boxing. I love boxing. By the way, we've got another interview coming up, and I love this guy, Steve Farhood. He's in the Hall of Fame, the International Boxing Hall of Fame. He has been a boxing analyst for 40 years. But more than a boxing analyst, get a grasp of who this guy is and what he's about and what's important in his life. And you really find some depth other than just being a, uh, a kind of a, a guy on the TV. He does Showtime. He's just a great boxing analyst and a really unbelievable man. And we're going to hear from Steve Farhood when we come back. 